Welcome to Inspiration and Adaptation. <clears throat> I'm Asia Freeman, Bunnell Street Art Center's Artistic Director. And in its weekly forum, Bunnell invites artists to explore creative strategies for maneuvering challenging times, such as pandemic, planetary collapse, and cultural survival. Bunnell is situated on lands that have been cared for since time immemorial, longer than thousands of years, by the Denina and Sufiak people. We have deep gratitude to the indigenous people of this region for continuing stewardship of this land. Thank you, Kleana Tanan. We're committed to resisting colonialism by partnering with indigenous artists and supporting indigenous-led practices. And our land acknowledgement is a living document. We offer this statement with good intentions. It's not our intent to offend, and we welcome feedback on how we can continue to improve our efforts on this journey. Today's conversation is with Shared Universal Club. We're speaking with writers and readers of the Wearmoot graphic novels. The artists of Shared Universe are writers and knowledge bearers who seek feedback about their efforts to create, promote, and distribute exciting comic book stories, new media, and fashion, exemplifying the rich regional cultures of Alaska in ways that both honor the heritage and forge new concepts to bridge the past with the future. I'd like to ask each of the Winter Mood artists to introduce themselves. And let's start with um, Dimi, Dimitrios Macheros. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Dimi. I'm currently in Seattle, um, born in, in Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, I, uh, I've been doing artwork and comic book art for as long as I can remember. Um, my grandma was the uh, elder of Chikulun Village, um, which I'm a tribal member. And growing up, she would tell us, uh, you know, uh, the, the stories that were taught to her by her grandparents. So growing up, I heard all these stories and I eventually uh, worked for the village and illustrated a number of those old legends kind of in a modern um, art style, like in a comic book, graphic novel style. And over the years, I've self-published and, um, you know, worked on a number of really exciting, interesting art projects revolving around Alaskan uh, culture and heritage. I mean, not limited to, but um, it's definitely been a passion of mine and, and a, a focus of a lot of my work. And that kind of brings me current to... Um, to collaborating with the Winter Moot team. Uh, and, and I guess that that sums it up in a brief overview of, of what I've, what, what's brought me here. Wonderful. Richard Perry, would you share with us a bit about your background? Yeah, so uh, I moved here originally uh, to Anchorage when I was 33. And uh, I'm, I'm an Air Force baby. Uh, my, my mother and my grandmother's family um, came from the Bethel area. Uh, and that's uh, kind of where my family ended up being until they moved to Anchorage uh, later on. A lot of people moved to Anchorage, you know. <laughs> so um, with my background, I moved here not knowing anything about being Alaska Native uh, or Alaska Native cultures. I, I knew next to nothing except I was a series shareholder and I, I got here and I thought, well, I'll look for a job there. Um, I didn't get a job at uh, Siri Corporate, but I did end up getting a job with uh, Cook and Let Travel Council, uh, one of the nonprofits. And I've been working almost the entire time from uh, then to now, uh, with a few exceptions in native nonprofits. Along the way, um, I got to learn a lot about uh, Alaska Native cultures because I was surrounded by elders and people who lived in the culture. Um, and I also discovered writing uh, while I was working in, in uh, the nonprofit world, uh, doing some grant writing and that type of thing. Um, and uh, on my side, side work, uh, artistically, I've been a writer, a journalist, and photographer. I have had articles in First Alaskans magazine for the last seven years or so. And I've had uh, published articles in Alaska Business Monthly, and uh, I contributed to the Anchorage Press on occasion as well. So 
that's a kind of a brief about me and uh, where I where I came from. Thank you, Richard. Melissa, would you int introduce yourself? Share a little bit about um, your background and what brings you into this project. Sure. Um, it's good to see everyone here today. My name is Melissa Shaganoff. I'm a caribou and fish eater clan from Nightdiniana or Chiklun Village. Um, I grew up on the Kenai though, and I have... Um, I have both a personal and professional relationship with with Benel uh, in in supporting the work that I do, and then also just really um, really wanting to be in relation with all the the work that Benel does. Um, the past couple of years, I've worked uh, as a curator uh, at the Anchorage Museum, um, and then when I was done with with that time, I, I've moved into working at APU and curating that space, um, those galleries. Um, but all the while, you know, still trying to be an artist. Um, and I think really kind of examine like what m my role is and like the way that I can not so much give back, but I think uh, just, just be in the best way possible. And um, with, with my art and the work that I do, I feel like that's the the easiest w role for me to have um, or easiest way for me to do that. Uh, so I like to sort of look at how art intersects um, between, you know, conversations and talking about like big, big ideas like decolonization and, you know, kind of reimagining futures and reimagining our world through um, uh, an indigenous lens. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of these ideas have come from, you know, learning from my aunties growing up. And I think that it's a new way to look at all these different things. Um, and uh, I came to work with Wintermoot through Nathan. Um, Demi's my cousin, but through Nathan. <laughs> uh, I had illustrated a short story when I was in college down in Santa Fe. So I hadn't even met Nathan until, until recently, like the last year or two. Um, but he just contacted me out of the blue and asked me what I was doing and uh, if I'd be interested in, in maybe illustrating or writing stories or, you know, doing some sort of consultation. And I think that this was already work that Nathan and Richard were doing um, as far as like really trying to create stories that were uh, written and thought about in collaboration and in community. Um, but when I came on, we just started, we just, I think we just took it a step further and we're like, oh, this is, you know, cultural consultation. This is cultural, you know, culture bearers. And um, the idea sort of like, uh, I think went even further, you know, as, as Demi came on, you know, and there was like this very, um, <laughs> very Chickaloon perspective, you know, uh, with Wintermoot. And I think that my role with Wintermoot is, is really uh, trying to, um, you know, provide uh, another another perspective on the way um, cultural stories can be told uh, in a, in an authentic way, because that's something that's really important to me. And I think that we all just brainstorm ways to do that um, a lot of the time. And I'm currently working on my own little book, um, but it's not. I think that in so many ways, my work is framed around creating educational resources and decolonizing resources, which to me means trying to create um, moments of understanding. So I'm not necessarily writing narratives or comics. I'm, I'm trying to create content that's uh, in the form of a book because I love little zines and that ephemera, but uh, more with the goal of you know, trying to create understanding, you know, and so, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, it's a, it's a, a roundabout way to say what I do, but uh, yeah. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you, Melissa. And thank you for your ongoing partnership with Benel's projects and the idea with um, Nathan also to bring this project to the fore today. Nathan, um, welcome. Uh, please give, if you will, a little introduction, orientation um, about yourself. And Okay, I don't know what to say after. So those three are like just super amazing people, obviously. Um, so me, I, I was not born in Alaska I, and I wasn't necessarily raised here. I grew up here. Um, I moved around a lot as a kid and we never really landed anywhere. And it wasn't until I was in grad school with my wife, we were in New Jersey and I realized that Alaska was the only place that I had ever considered or called home in my life. And uh, it was this weird moment being an adult and in, in, in finding, I don't know, when you just, when you're a, a traveling person, uh, figuring out the idea of home. So um, my wife and I moved back, her family's here and it was wonderful. This is a long time ago we moved back uh, and we just reconnected with everything and life started falling into place better for me. I, I wasn't out of sync or out of touch with uh, who and what I was anymore. It, it was a big hit on my artistic career because I wasn't living in New York anymore, but is what I needed for myself to be back home. Um, that being said, I, as an artist, I, my wife and I started an art collective in the 90s called the Meme Writer Media Team. Uh, and when we were living in New York, we were working on things like internet memes a long time ago. And then I was lucky enough to be part of a group of people working in 2007, 2008 on something called Locative Media. And that was when mobile devices came up and we developed mobile augmented. So that's been super fun to be part of that. It's since expanded and it was augmented reality that brought me to wanting to do comics and working collaboratively. Um, my, my wife, Joelle, is uh, like this amazing... Uh, it's called relational art, it's interactive art. And I've always loved that too and done a little bit here and there, but this Winter Moon project really is about uh, talking to people and figuring out how to develop ideas and projects that uh, reflect a community rather than just a, a singular auteur, like a, a singular art artist doing a, a novel or a movie or something. Um, that's, I feel like that's a real roundabout way <laughs> to start bringing up the things that are really important within it. Um, reconnecting with a lot of Alaskan artists. And then when, um, we did the dirigibles of Denali project where Richard and I worked together and we had all these people that were writing stories and doing, uh, pieces of the project. And then we had all this leftover stuff that we were going to turn into a comic book. And we realized that it, all my friends who are both Alaska Native and artists have always been very vocal about what collaboration looks like. It's not a secret in the community. And when we just started talking with people, it, it was a pretty seamless transition to start working in groups on things. And the the first winter moot that we had written was a completely different superhero story. Uh, actually, Brendan Price is here, one of the, the people we had developed uh, a character together. Um, but then we, I kind of put that on the back because I wanted the first thing that came out to actually be interactions with a larger cultural context of Alaska. How, how, do, um, how does a white artist work with native topics? How do natives work with other native cultures? How, how do we do contemporary, expansive, inclusive work correctly? And, um, and also in making exciting things that aren't kind of gimmicky or, or made just to be, um, I don't know, I don't wanna say anything direct. Like, um, there's this character on Sesame Street. She's got autism, right? 
And the only time she comes out to play with the other characters is when they have to figure out something about autism. And then she goes away. And that's it. That's, that's her character. She's to be multidimensional, but she's very singular. Um, and so when you deal with, with people, white people are given a pass to be complicated and uh, make mistakes in stories. And we just tend to not let complicated scenarios play out in media or in stories that often. And it's a pretty simple formula for doing that, which is what I wanted to do with other people. Yes. So I know that part of the goal as a collective is to create stories from the most, most authentic representation, one that utilizes your many networks and varying perspectives and reconstructs the writing, illustrating, and character development process into an indigenous-minded form. In a sense, you have said, working together is reimagining modern storytelling. And I know this is a statement, a collective statement. Working together is reimagining modern storytelling within the framework of indigenous authority, elder and youth contributions, and your own cultural competencies. You've also said that it means gathering qualitative information from your readership, engaging interest and understanding from your community. And that's where this premise of the Shared Universe Book Club begins, a place where you can discuss your current past and future works. So I just want to um, welcome everybody else who's joined us in the room here today. Um, many people who are readers and many people who are really curious about your work and your form and remind them all that this is a great time to ask questions. And that's in many ways is the purpose of this um, dialogue today. Um, what I'd like to do before we just jump in a little bit uh, further is, is ask you to talk a tiny bit or as much as you like about Yanidea School, Alaska's first and only tribally owned and operated full-time K-12 full school. I know that Demi was one of the original students and worked for the village and illustrated Yanidea's comic storybook, as well as designed the Atna Athabascan language curriculum. And I know from speaking with you in the past, Nathan, that that's really was an important influence and inspiration for this work. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, um, what the interface is for for any of you in this group related to Yanidea and and how you envision the comic books having value to the youth of today and tomorrow. Can we start with you, Demi? Yeah, sure. Um, so I did attend uh, Yanidea for the first um, two years that it was in operation. Uh, it was you know, it was small. I moved uh, in with my grandma. The school was actually next to my grandma's house. And it was just me and um, a handful of my cousins. And um, uh, we, we basically did homeschool and learned the basic, you know, the basic school stuff, arithmetic and everything. And then um, grandma and some of our other relatives would come and teach us the, the language and teach us, you know, certain things about, you know, where we would do outdoor activities and how to go spot tracks. And um, it, it was really natural when I was in the moment, but looking back on it, I realized that it was a pretty, you know, unique and a special experience. And I think just as most of my other school went, I was always preoccupied. I don't want to say preoccupied. I was just always focused on artwork. Um, and those years, especially that I attended the school were the years that I uh, first found out about and fell in love with comic books and the medium, um, you know, in general, just buying comic books, started collecting them, started trying to draw, you know, how they, how they drew, you know, how they, I was just really inspired by the medium. Um, and so, like I said, the, the, the Yanni Da was, was the name of the stories that grandma um, taught us and uh, I feel like I illustrated those those stories and over the years I've, I've I've decided kind of now that I would like to you know uh, respect and honor those stories by somehow creating an, a new one um, 
I, I think that retelling stories is great. It's valuable and preserving culture is very valuable. Uh, but, and, and I've, I can't remember who the, who the quote was, but it's, um, you know, uh, a culture that is in danger preserves has to preserve their cult their has to preserve their stories, but a thriving culture will create new stories. I mean that's kind of like a rough way of, of, of the quote, but that really inspired me and resonated with me. And the, the the book and the story that I'm working on right now, um, it just kind of happened to coincide almost at the same time as uh, Nathan reached out with this concept of working in a shared universe sort of setting, which I hadn't considered. Uh, initially, but the more we talked, I, I realized that there's an opportunity here to to create new stories and start telling new stories in in you know in new mediums like comic books that can not only be you know um, culturally you know accurate and 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 you know and focused, but can also branch out in new ways in include all the other different aspects and people that, that live in Alaska and that call Alaska home who might not necessarily have been raised in, you know, the, the tribal, you know, cultural sort of way. Um, just a way to include, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like how we're combining efforts to create this shared universe, really try to open the doors to allow uh, everybody that calls Alaska home to 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 learn and to contribute to something like this. Mm -hmm. What kind of questions does it lead you to for your readers in doing that work? Uh, is that is that for me or does yeah, somebody else? Yes, I would is. say Nathan. You know, <laughs> what, what? Sorry, what was the question again? Well, what kind of questions would you like to ask your readers? I, I I'm happy to hear from Nathan, but I would like to start out with you, just based on this this premise that you're working with. Um, you know, I haven't really like had a chance to finish my project that I'm working on now. My my books that I've done in the past, the Yanni Da'a comic books. Um, I guess you're you're asking for readers of those books. Um, I would ask, or I would like to. The questions I would like were would be how how does it help you? Uh, how does it help you interpret and recognize um, the the at the basking culture, like what I'm the where I'm coming from, what I'm trying to represent in those books. Um, how does it how does it help you understand those cultures, and what might I do better to help share what the you know that those traditions and that culture um, have to offer? How, how you know that would be the questions I would like, or the feedback I would like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nathan, is there anything you would add to that question? I see you nodding your head. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I agree with like everything I've ever heard anybody else on this panel. When, when we talk, it's just full throated agreement with whatever it is they're saying. The, the interests coincide just everywhere we start talking. Um, I mean, I got, I got to say, when, when, I first started putting my initial comic book stuff together, like the stories. This was maybe two and a half years ago, three years ago. And Demi and Brendan were the only people I gave the stories to, to read like the original scripts. And they're the only people that I took information from. And they're both here uh, right now. And, and it was because uh, Brendan's like one of my childhood friends from Alaska and uh, Demi was an online friend at that point who was also an Alaskan and the way that kind of set up, I, I, I wouldn't say it was question led is, is the big thing. I think our bigger focus instead of asking questions is knowing audience. And I think that's the thing that kind of put us differently when we started putting these ideas together is we knew that the first audience for everything we were doing was kids in Alaska who just don't get put first in anything ever. So I, I think it was maybe less questions in um, setting up something where we're going to be listening a lot more than we're talking at some point. 
Because uh, when you start showing this kind of stuff to kids, they really don't want to stop talking. Like there's a lot of things for them to get going about, especially with the Yanadia comic books. I mean, that, that about breaks every kid's brain. I show it to him as a teacher. And the same thing goes with, uh, you know, like the Never Alone video game. Right as soon as you open it up, I mean, you can walk away from it and the kids will stay focused on it. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the questions are going to develop more over time. I found that uh, one of the ones I'm asking, it wouldn't be to kids, was um, it was actually something I had heard Ishmael Hope say at one point, uh, which was kind of looking at what's, I'm misquoting him because I'm not going to remember it perfectly, but it's looking at the, what are pan-Alaskan things, what are universal Alaskan things that don't rely specifically on one culture, but they can reflect uh, an Alaskan way of being or thinking. And there are actually several narrative structures that we're starting to run into through the medium of comic books that kind of have a, a very unique Alaskan flavor for how a story is told or characters together in a situation, which I think that's one of the coolest things I'm starting to see. But I don't know if that's a question. So mm -hmm. I feel like I didn't answer. Yeah, no, it's totally fine. And I just want to, you know, turn into our group for a moment and, you know, acknowledge that, like, we have Maya um, Soganic here today, which is really an honor. And, and Maya, you've spent a good deal of time working on the Molly of Denali project, you know, and creating a meaningful media for children that explores um, Athabascan, explores Dene culture. Can you, can you tell us... Um, a little bit about what you seek to learn from these um, these comics and, and how this kind of collaboration, um, how you see it as important or influential today. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, Maya Salganik, Yachaduasaku. Uh, my name is Maya Salganik. I'm originally from Santa Fe, New Mexico. The, um, the, the people of the Ogaha, Poake, uh, Whitewater, White Shell people of the Tewa. And I've been living here in Fairbanks, Alaska, in the land of the Tanana Dene people um, for the last 20 years. Um, married into the Shinket um, family and my husband, Dekahin Maynard, and my son um, are part of my inspiration. You know, my son is a huge, huge comic book collector. Uh, I could walk around the corner and I, he can't even count how many comic books he's read or owns. Uh, he's 11. Um, and so he's probably my first source of all of this work, um, is how does he feel part of the world, part of his own culture in the 21st century? How is the media connected and related to the experience that he has, um, in this very hyper-mediated world? And, um, you know, working on Molly was a huge honor and I was doing the live action, not the animation side of it, but we did do voice casting for, um, for the children that were featured in the show, as well as some of the other adults that were featured in the, in the animated series. Um, and so that issue for me has always come for um, being able to listen, number one, and open up uh, the capacity for people to speak for themselves in their authentic voice and whatever that looks like through the guidance of um, learning from the elders, learning from the community. And I, I'm very interested in this idea of this shared universe. How is that shared universe directing our awareness and our attention? And how do we react and respond to that appropriately in real time? Um, so yeah, it's just so thinking about, you know, how, how that inspiration comes about, what the concerns are. I think that those are always really important pieces. And, um, you know, we're, we're taking think at classes and in, in class, this woman who's in Seattle is like, oh, I have a comic book I made in Shinket. And we're like, oh my gosh. And so, you know, she like, it's a handwritten little zine that she drew and, you know, wrote and she mailed it to Keith as like, oh, you're interested in comic books, right? And so I think that that's part of this community. So now he has, you know, and he has Ishmael's work too, but being able to inspire that, I think is really fundamental for me. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I'm interested. Thank you so much, Maya, in sharing um, and, you know, in helping to participate and, and promote like this, this connected community that's thinking about um, appropriate, you know, elevation of, of traditional stories and, and also um, just reinvention and, and reimagining forward through your work with Molly of Denali. Um, I want to turn to, to some of our other panelists today, the collaborators in Shared Universe, and just ask, you know, Richard, why, why is it important for you and for your community to be a part of the Shared Universe project? So I think uh, one of the biggest motivators I find is uh, when when I first got here, you know, I mentioned that uh, I didn't know anything about being Alaska Native. I was estranged from my mother's side of the family uh, because of the distance, you know, I was living and growing up in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and my journey, as I, as I discovered, isn't all that unfamiliar to a lot of people. Um, so one of the driving things about uh, being a part of this is that identity is such a, a hard thing to come to when you lack a connection to something that you know is there, but you're, you're not sure where to go or who to speak to. And uh, going through this process of kind of discovering who I am, what it means for me to be an Alaska Native, um, I've learned a lot of things from, you know, the people I've worked with and the people artistically who I've collaborated with. The biggest thing to me is that there's such a diversity uh, about being Alaska Native. And in a lot of ways, you know, if, if it was a perfect world, they wouldn't be Alaska Native uh, people. It would be, you know, you're Athabascan or you're Gwich'in Athabascan or you're Yupik. Uh, and you know this is your family, and that's one of the big questions that always comes up. Well, who's your who's your parents? Who are your grandparents? And through that, they know a lot about you because a lot of people know you know uh, each other in these communities. Uh, and moving to and from Alaska, you know, as as kind of just a, a happenstance. So the question you asked was, what is it that's important to me? And that's finding a connection because, you know, I don't exactly look like your typical native guy, uh, but there's a lot of people who don't look, uh, you know, as tan uh, or dark haired. Uh, <laughs> we're a diverse group of people. We have people, you know, living in Anchorage who live a, you know, an urban lifestyle. And I'm that, uh, I, I've called myself unassimilated in a lot of ways. Uh, to people. And when, when something comes up like, well, uh, you know, what, how much are you native? And, and to me, that's kind of a weird thing to ask. It's like, how much are you a brother or a sister? How much are you, uh, you know, uh, it's a part of you. It's not just a, it's an aspect of you. It's not just a division or a separate uh, kind of thing. So when, when I told you earlier that I like, I discovered writing, uh, the thing that really drives that is I love stories and hearing stories. And that's the big motivator too. So I wanna hear stories, I wanna tell stories and collaboration is the best way to do that. And in this group with the shared universe, you know, I found a great group of people to work with and, and there's many more people that I'm, I'm finding that uh, are around the corner that uh, I look for more exciting opportunities to collaborate, to hear stories, to share stories, and uh, to, to have somebody like Demi, uh, you know, uh, share his uh, skills as an illustrator, showing some of my ideas in story and in comic book format. It's just a thrill. And I'm thrilled to share it. I'm thrilled to see other people's work. Uh, mm. I think that kind of answers it, all right? Yeah, thank okay. you. I'm sort of hearing that as a, you know, as a kid growing up disconnected from stories that perhaps through the comic book form, it's almost like you're re, you're, you're reliving childhood and also recreating at the same time. You're participating in cultural production, but you're also exploring it, perhaps. Yeah, I'll share, I'll share with you briefly that uh, I came across a recording of my grandmother, Mildred Jacobson, 
Uh, it was from the 80s, the early 80s, and it was her speaking in a microphone interview. Uh, and she was sharing her experiences in uh, when she went to uh, Holy Cross is where she uh, she grew up as a, an orphan child. And uh, she was talking about her experiences and how and how it affected her and impacted her throughout her life. And the uh, sorry. And uh, in th hearing that, I, I discovered, you know, she's a writer, she's an artist, uh, she was a teacher. And these are all things that I have a passion for. And, you know, here I have a, a book, uh, Sleeping Lady, uh, the, the Legend of Sleeping Lady that she wrote and illustrated. Uh, you know, these are amazing things to discover. And I would have never known it had I not moved up here in, in my young adult life. Uh, and you know, had the opportunity to share stories with uh, people and, and so, yeah. Thank you. Nathan, why is it important for you to, to create these comics? What is it that you hope um, to, you know, to, to give or to cultivate in terms of Alaskan cultural connections or beyond through this work? That's an amazing question, Asia, and I have no idea how to answer that. I could say uh, comic books was the first kind of artwork that I really loved as a kid. So when I was 9, 10, 11, probably about till I was 13 or 14, uh, I would, you know, I, I had a pole bin at the local comic book shop wherever we were living. And I was, you know, I spent all my money on comic books. I read all sorts of comic books. And then... Um, I don't remember what I found at around 14, but um, I, I, I went that like really sharp art route where I started reading like fin de siècle French literature and got into dot and it was just a sharp turn away from comic books. Um, and then by the time I was in Alaska, you know, going out into the, like the bigger art world, then coming back to Alaska, as this new media artist who was specializing in very specific things that, you know, were, were supposed to be really tantalizing and nobody else had heard of these things. So I'm working with it. But uh, the audience response has always been really strange to my work. So I, I never really had positive uh, feedback, like much. It would be a little bit here and there. But once I started um, working with the comic books again, or, or making them, then it, it started turning into something a little different where I would start thinking about those things where it wasn't just a conceptual art project. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense, but when you do a conceptual art project at times, um, it just doesn't have that much uh, connection to a community for doing it. It was also hard on me because I'm not like a particularly... Um, focused artist like I don't draw every day I don't want to draw every day I don't actually like drawing that much I, I don't really like writing that much but I'm, I'm I'm willing to do kind of a shitty job of it to stay making something I mean the same thing goes with my coding so like the new media stuff I've never been good at coding it takes me five times as long as all my other colleagues to make some of that basic stuff it's the same thing with the drawing. I'm just kind of slow and clunky. But when when I was putting all this stuff together for me, and especially this happened with the online talks I was having with Demi, because um, what I was really doing was trying to work up the courage for me, which was a very me-focused thing. Like I wanted to mm -hmm. say, I've got money, I've got connections, I want to make a comic book, I want you to illustrate it. But when I was getting to know him more online and talking, I realized that that was like so incredibly selfish of me to do that when he has all these awesome things he's doing. So what if, if I really was interested in comic books that way, I should only have a friendship with Demi. Like he's one of the people I'm just like, he's like family at this point for me. I just, I love him so deeply and, and personally uh, and all I want for him 
is for him to have like as much success as possible with his own comic book. It it became a, a different sort of thing. So now when there's collaborative things going on, it's from a much healthier place. So create characters that can go between our different comic books that can make bigger stories. And it's not me commissioning him to work for me on something. I know it sounds kind of strange and I, this is my like big roundabout way of getting it. Cause when Melissa started coming in too with the conversations and with Richard, actually just everybody that we were bringing in when, when those friendships were made and that love was established between people when we realized we cared about so many of the same things. And then you develop a collaborative working relationship that's not so singularly focused all of these amazing magical things just started happening. And uh, especially by the way Melissa talks about mm-hmm. culture and things. It, it, it translated, so the same wonderful magic that I got to have working with Melissa on Winter Moot, working with Chickaloonies in Dimmy's work. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about the learning and the gift that happens through the process of collaboration that actually changes you and it's transformative that act of making collaboratively with others is it's kind of game changing we all may go to our art for sort of (laughs) selfish reasons but what actually kind of keeps us there is the transformational process yeah working collaboratively with these people especially like strong smart super talented creative people that really aren't afraid to speak their mind really does make a much better collaborative process uh, the very first one in the whole thing i don't know if she ever showed up holly nordlam she said she might be here today maybe she's on facebook uh i mean i went with her with early um character design stuff and she was just an art but when she gave me the it wasn't criticism either it wasn't anything like that. It was just like very point blank. No Anupia woman would do this. They would do this. No, no Anupia woman would call themselves this. It's this. Like it was, it was just like very straight, direct conversation. And then at first I was like, God damn it. Like <laughs> I worked so hard on this shit. Like I was, oh, like this, this was just all this work. And then I realized that was, that was my, my big ego thinking that I could just come up with something on my own. And she and like the, like we're, we're friends, but her in the most friendly of ways was just sort of matter of fact. And then when I took a step back, I realized this was a million times better than anything I would have come on on my own. Like I, I would have never put those things together if I wasn't for like a decent, healthy, collaborative way of thinking. So yeah, this whole process is a whole thing on me stepping back in my own personal thing, I can't speak to whether, you know, Richard or Demi or Melissa feel that way, but a lot of it is just learning how much I'm unaware. Well, and it, and it makes sense. One would hope you'd feel that way, you know, coming as a white guy to this project. Um, Demi, you've talked about how um, in one sense, you know, in, you were remembering, a, you know, a powerful influence, um, someone who said, that um gosh let's see if i can remember this exactly it's it's the second part the idea that cultures that are um alive are telling you stories and so i'm wondering i don't know if we can in this forum i'm i'm, I'm sure we can plan for it in the future as we move forward in a monthly um sharing with with um shared universe it, it would be really nice to look at some pages um maybe that's something you can facilitate on your end Nathan, is to look at a page of Demi's where a new story is being told um, and to talk a little bit about what, um, you know, why it's important to tell that new story and to, to get some feedback from our readers today. Is it, is it possible to bring up um, a page, Nathan? Yeah. Um, uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, hold on a second. So I could tell you... Yeah. Um, the, the next issue of Wintermouth that's going to come out, it should be by Christmas-ish. Um, uh, Richard's story illustrated, uh, Demi illustrated the first five pages, I believe. 
uh, is going to be included as an additional feature at the end of this next issue of Winter Mode. Mm -hmm. uh, and this next issue, yeah, this this one is starting to get like a bigger collaborative sense. Like it's it's not just me writing additional people working with me, but it's actually starting to become more and more people. Uh, yeah. Is that okay if I show that one, Demi? Yeah. You said yeah? Sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm pulling it all up. And, um, you know, while we're making that transition, we have a lot of, or at least some readers in the room, which we're really honored and delighted to have that's important. And I want to invite readers to ask questions while we're, you know, what kind of questions does this work raise for you? These are really, um, these, these comic books are, are really thick, you know, with meaning. There's, there's a lot of density there. And so um, let's, let's turn the page here on Wild Man, the Wild Man of Denali. What are we looking at? Yes, this is, actually, Richard should be describing what this is. Yeah, let's hear it, let's hear Richard. Okay, so um, the Wild Man of Denali was uh, originally one of the stories in Daredribbles and uh, it was kind of reimagined and repurposed. This is an introduction to uh, the three main characters in their family, Ryan, Kate, and uh, Nana, and Nan, um, the, the, the elder. Um, so this is basically an introduction into this future world. Uh, and in this city, uh, everything's kind of taken care of. It's, it's a utopia where the, the only economy is um, artwork and creativity. You know, I was going to create a world, I was going to create one that I thought was pretty cool and I'd like to live in. <laughs> um, so this is an introduction into uh, the first page is Ryan and uh, he is uh, tasked with getting uh, some game meat uh, for a rich guy, uh, for somebody of uh, import uh, who's uh, secretly asked him to go get some some game meat because that's not something that's common and uh, they don't really eat meat, they eat, uh, you know, uh, mostly stuff they grow. And the next page is uh, Kate, and she's coming home on a dirigible. Uh, her grandmother sent her out uh, to come back to return. And uh, this is just starting to show a little intrigue onto what's going on in the community. And uh, it's, it's a story, the little snow visors, uh, that's kind of uh, one of the common things that we share in uh, some of our stories. There's a lot of snow visors. And uh, this one is a, an interactive device where it shows uh, information and uh, histories and records and stuff like that. So it's really, uh, this is a story shared around uh, a family and uh, they're coming back together and solving problems and, and saving the universe kind of thing. <laughs> The community. It's the wonderful. Um, I could also show. Uh, I got something from the Chickaloony. Oh, I, I, Demi, let me know if you don't want this shown. These are like very uh, rough sketches for the Chickaloonies. Yeah, got no. You can show whatever you want. It's fine. Um, yeah, I think kind of like as we're in this uh, beginning phase of creating all these stories and working together, um, we're finding different ways in which we can kind of cross over and collaborate and, and unite our stories uh, without giving too much away or without getting too metaphysical. Um, it's a shared universe, but I almost think of it as almost like, you know, a shared universe in terms of realities that can kind of like interchange. I feel that so much of the the you know uh, a lot of tribal story storytelling is so not what we're used to in a western sense of beginning middle end the the way that stories are told um they're sort of nebulous they kind of can move from from different places and different times and things happen and characters react to things in it in a much more um 
I want to say abstract or kind of like um, it might seem unnatural from being conditioned to our Western, you know, storytelling, which I mean, we're also conditioned to it and, and it, and, and I love it. I love the beginning, middle, end, and the archetypes. Um, but I think that when you hear about these, when you hear these uh, traditional, you know, native stories or, you know, like the Athabascan stories, um, so often they, they kind of jump from time and place and, and it's almost kind of jarring because you don't quite understand, like, why is the story not lining up with my preconceived notions of how a story should be? Uh, and so going back to the to the shared universe and like trying to figure out ways where we can unite our visions and unite our stories. And I, I think that there's something there that we're exploring, which will be able to tie in a little bit more of that like traditional storytelling, the, the non-linear story storytelling. And like Richard was saying with the the snow goggles, how it's almost kind of like you can picture it as like a totem. Uh, between these different realities, almost in a way where it's connecting them, like nodes connecting these different realities together. And, and that's just one one thing. Like, I don't know if you've got my, my pages pulled up yet or any of the artwork pulled up. Yeah. So the the, the story that I'm working on called Chickalunis, um, it's just the word that my mom, you know, would, would say about our family since we're from Chickaloon. Uh, a, a, a brief overview would be two friends, uh, two, 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 two kids, you know, your typical kind of buddies, you know, like, you know, Wayne and Garth, Bill and Ted. I wanted to kind of go with that sort of a dynamic. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob would be a good example. Um, I've got Mr. Yelly, who's kind of like the loud, obnoxious. I sort of based it a little bit on how Grandma would describe uh, the Raven character. Uh, in the stories, you know, a little bit obnoxious, loud. Um, uh, and, and then another character, uh, that's Mr. Yelly, and then the, his his buddy, uh, Sasquatch, uh, which we call uh, Emoji. And whereas Yelly is very loud and boisterous and, and, you know, domineering in his personality, Emoji is quite the opposite. He's very quiet. In fact, he doesn't speak. And he, 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 uh, he'll uh, communicate using emojis and symbols. Mm-hmm. And we're really trying to work in here with, uh, with this comic. I say we, I should, I should mention that I'm collaborating. My, uh, my longtime collaborator in comic books that I've met down here in Seattle, Casey, I need to give him his credit. He's my co-creator. Whereas I do the art um, and the illustration work, we both collaborate on the story and so much of the, the actual nuts and bolts of the script and like the, the storytelling itself. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm working with Casey as my collaborator. He's, let's say my writer. Um, and so when I say we, we're really trying to explore this concept of uh, language and how there was no written language um, for, for these, you know, for these languages, there was no like, you know, actual written symbolic language. We're trying to come up with different ways, whether it's emojis, or symbols to kind of, um, you know, to kind of like convey a language that you might not necessarily uh, ever see a, a written language for. So there's this dynamic between the two characters where Yelly is, you know, we're expressing very loud with his voice and his talking. And then Emoji, the Sasquatch, is very silent, very quiet, and communicates with these symbols. And as the, as the story grows, I think we're going to find other ways or, you know, more uh, exciting, interesting ways to, to to work these in, but I think language is such an important piece of these stories that we can't quite we can't quantify that that language uh, in in comic books necessarily. Like how important it was to hear those stories in that language when there's no written language, so that we could just write it necessarily, um, but somehow convey that. In, in a new way. I think that's one of my main goals for this is, is really trying to carry over that voice, that language into this new medium uh, and, and merge the two. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, Nathan, if we could pop out of screen share now, and I just want to kind of um, go back to the room and ask um, if viewers or readers 
are having some questions pop up that they might be interested in sharing at this time. Knowing you can share now, and you'd also be welcome to join us again and share later as we intend to keep holding the Shared Universe Book Club um, monthly moving forward for some time. And as these works, um, you know, these graphic novels develop. Does anybody have a question for writers that they'd like to ask? Yes, Adele, go ahead. Hi. Um, well, you know, a lot of people I don't think are super familiar with like the comic book world. And so if you guys maybe could explain like what a shared universe is, um, you know, in terms of Marvel and then how that will sort of like mer merge into this future, you know, AR related world. Um, but I know a lot of us, you know, don't, don't aren't familiar with comic books and, and use that language and uh, we don't necessarily know what you mean. Thank you. A shared universe is a pretty common term in science fiction and fantasy, speculative fiction. It, it just means, um, like, in the reality of that universe, different writers can make different works. They kind of fit together. The Marvel Universe, if you will, all the different characters are part of the Marvel Universe. And then uh, the DC Universe or the Image Universe or any of those things. Uh, but it also works on like television shows and stuff too for Star Trek or Star Wars. Um, when I, I just one day that that name we um, Richard and I were using that for the Dirigibles of Denali project. We, the shared universe was just like the name of the group or like the publishing company, the fake publishing company we were using. It, it just sounded like something that came out of a relationalist uh, art, a shared universe. It's it's. It was just kind of a joke, I guess. But it's a legitimate term, and it's kind of a stupid term to name something, because it's <laughs> it would be like naming your group comic book. I mean, it's just it's kind of dumb, but it's really sweet. Thank you. Are there other um, questions or comments from other listeners, readers at this point that anybody feels like they'd like to ask? Hey, Jen, Jennifer Romo, welcome. Good I to have see a you. Question. Um, just speaking from um, your artistic perspective, I'm an educator myself, so I was very drawn to like the historical interface, both from an events um, or theme, um, as well as from a cultural perspective. So I just wanted to hear a little bit about what is your inspiration for um, choosing like elements of history to interface within the storyline? Um, well, I, I could speak to that for myself for the Wintermoot stuff that's already come out. Is that what you mean? Um, yes. Um, considering the stuff that we reviewed before the, before the conversation today. I'm trying to remember. Oh, uh, well, one of the big ones was the CSS Shenandoah, a, a big historical thing. Um, so if, if people don't know, the final shots of the Civil War, the U.S. Civil War, were actually fired in the Bering Sea by a Confederate naval ship that basically never fought anybody. They just raided uh, ships and they pillaged. Uh, but the, so the CSS Shenandoah is like this unbelievably strange thing. Uh, before it was the CSS Shenandoah, it, it ran supplies down to New Zealand during the New Zealand War. And then after it was a Confederate naval ship, it became... Um, a, a slaving ship in the Middle East before it was marooned. But anyway, uh, part of the second issue of Wintermoot, one of the characters, actually uh, Anchorman, the sourdough, which I co-created with Brendan Price, his origin was he was one of the crew on the CSS Shenandoah. Uh, and he kind of gets lost in, a, I guess, some sort of fantasy world uh, with these fly monsters and things. So I liked that part of history. I got to say, uh, some of the other things that are coming up are way more intense than that, especially uh, the ones we're writing with Yunungan people. Some of the Yunungan uh, history is exceptionally hard to talk about casually. Like, you, you, it's just, it's so intense uh, when you talk about things like genocide 
or um, multiple genocides. So those are coming in. I tried to make it, I guess, entertaining history at this point, uh, but we are moving into other things because I think at the end of the day, I can't really help myself as an educator and an artist. Like I want to teach kids. So I, I want to show the value. I, and I don't know how explicit it is. So like Demi was talking about uh, hair, like his, his buddy duo, but uh, his duo is way more in line with like um, denying a pairing in stories for me than it is with, for like Bill and Ted, but it's got that flavor. But inside of say the winter mood stories that would be something you would talk about in augments or whatever is uh you know the nine tells stories about uh the pairing of animals and you could talk about cottonwood and spruce and how dog didn't get a pair and like which animals paired up together and then when you look at a lot of the nine stories uh that's how they name the story is raven and caribou or uh raven and the half human like it's it's the story about this pair kind of way to do it uh, but I crazy love Alaskan history so uh, and it all came from the dirigibles project that was three dome cities that were proposed in Alaska in the 60s and 70s and we recreated them and Alaskans wrote sci-fi set in the cities so it's, it's super fun to talk about lesser known pieces of Alaskan history any um thoughts or, or comments about that. Oh, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, my, my time here has come. I'm actually on break at work, and uh, I have to get back to work. I want to thank everybody for having me. Um, I know that you were saying this might happen uh, monthly. I look forward to seeing you guys all again and having more work to share, and I appreciate the Winter Move team, uh, all, my, all my partners here, Melissa, Richard, Nathan, like, they're all so inspiring and um i couldn't ask for a better team to collaborate with it's like it, every time we get to like just do a zoom call like we've only met uh we've only met in person all of us you know once this past year um but hopefully look you know look forward to, to meet again soon in person and and having more work to share so thank you all so much and, uh, thank you jimmy to you soon. thank you thank, thank you, you so much I realize that, um, you know, we've come upon the hour and so people may need to go. Um, but to remind everyone that we'll be back in a month and continue this shared universe book club and it's open. And um, it's obviously very much about, um, you know, supporting collaboration and, and being accountable culturally and, and being accountable um, personally, you know, as artists. Um, these, each of these artists are speaking about their own um, growth and learning trajectories. And as we kind of wind up this conversation, I want to turn back to Melissa and to thank you, you know, for your um, continuing partnership with Benel and to just reflect, if you will, um, for us on where you hope um, this project um, goes, how you'd like to see it continue. Um, you know, I would like to see uh, this type of like work to be um, more widely shared, you know, because I think that uh, that was sort of the idea behind trying to do a book club is that this sort of storytelling um, style and this kind of collaborative work is really, I think, healing and good for everyone. You know, Nathan talked a lot at the top about kind of removing the ego and the artist, you know, from this kind of work. And I think that like in like large terms, like that's, that's sort of the kind of work that is going to promote visibility of indigenous people, but also I think promote a worldview that is inclusive. And I think that uh, it is something that's not only needed, but something that's very original and new and a way of telling stories that um, actually, no, it's not, it's not, it's not new and it's not original. It's an indigenous way of telling stories. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a really old way of telling stories. It's actually a really, you know, um, important knowledge that native people have, indigenous people have. And I think shared universe and the work that's being done 
you know, with, with this group is, uh, is really special because it's taking that, it's taking those really important parts of oral tradition and teaching people and collaboration and it's bringing it into and framing it in like a really cool, you know, way of transferring knowledge in a way that people are, I think, excited about, you know, through comics, through content, you know, through augmentation, like these are, these are exciting things. Um, And I think we've just, we're just tricking everyone to think that it's new. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. That's just a beautiful um, summation of the project objectives and on the kind of leadership that you bring to it. I want to thank you all so much for creating this this work and this opportunity for us to gather. So we're looking forward to it again in a month. And um, we'll invite you all, of course, to return and keep sharing pages and sharing observations and questions. Take care. See you soon. <laughs>